Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts, along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. So last week, the government somewhat unexpectedly reopened the UK housing market. We saw Robert Jenrick up on the COVID press conference podium outlining the reasons behind this move, but how will it work in practice and how much activity will follow? Joining me today to discuss this, a head of strategy and operations, John Rockle, head of central London lettings, David Mumby, and Exeter office head, Mark Proctor. Mark, how have the past few days been for you? What did you make of the timing of the government's move to reopen the market? Yeah, I don't actually think there's necessarily any good time to reopen the market. We've obviously been prepared for this. I think the thing that caught us by surprise was the speed at which we're expected to get back to work. Obviously, as agents, we love nothing better than selling houses. With the the unique situation we're in at the moment, we want to do that safely, uh, in a measured way for our clients, for buyers, and obviously for our staff. So it's been preparing to get back to work and take advantage, I think, of the demand which we are seeing, certainly I'm seeing down here in the southwest region. The past few days have been quite frenetic in terms of getting everything ready updating our clients, telling them what we expect from them in terms of making sure that viewings are safe and also checking that they are in fact ready for us to do viewings. But you know, generally there's been a, a sense of excitement amongst all the office heads that I deal with and the staff that I deal with within my region. And we're really looking forward to getting back to work on Monday. David, how about yourself? What was the sort of mood in lettings? I think it was one of absolute delight, to be honest with you. It was that there was always the speculation. You start getting the tweets, you start getting the emails and the WhatsApps from clients and colleagues alike. And I was getting notifications from people on the other side of the world that were hearing the news almost at exactly the same time as us, who were property owners here in the UK and were saying, right, can you get people through the door of my properties now? So it's been absolutely fantastic to be able to tell large numbers of the workforce to say that we can come back now and start doing what we all live and breathe and enjoy doing on a daily basis. So I was expecting the start of June. Things came around very quickly, but it was an absolute testament to John and the risk and operations team to say that within no more than a couple of days, we are ready to bring back hundreds of people into the workforce and start trying to service our customers again, both clients, tenants, purchasers and vendors. And it's a really, really exciting time for all of us. So John, what measures do you think Knight Frank will be adopting first so agents could do business and meet the government's new safety criteria? We've had to implement a whole range of things. It's been a busy week to ensure our customers, employees can work and interact safely. So firstly, our offices are on the high street. In each office, we've sort of carefully planned out the furniture layout to ensure social distancing. So we've looked at our floor plans and made sure that works. Therefore, our offices will have to have fewer people than usual, but they can be supported as they are at the moment working from home. So again, no, no break in service there. And we'll be encouraging customers to make appointments before they come in. Secondly, we've provided protocols and guidance to all of our managers and employees on how they can safely work in the office and safely work when they're visiting customers in their homes and properties. And today we've launched our training all in time so that everyone can go on the webinars and videos, et cetera, all to support the guidance so everyone feels comfortable with what they need to do because that's absolutely our first priority is safety of our employees and our customers. And we've also issued protective equipment to all of our people. That's all been arriving over the last couple of days, typically gloves and face coverings and hand gels. 
And then finally, with our customers, we'll be discussing with all of them our safety arrangements. We've got various communications ready. And a first step will always be to offer the option of virtual visits and viewings. So we ensure that customers are always happy with whatever arrangements we make. We'll be having a maximum number of any visits to make sure that, again, keeping social distancing at all times. We'll prepare the property and encourage the owners to do things like opening doors, etc., to minimize touch. And we'll provide face coverings and gloves where customers don't have their own. We've had a busy week, but we think we're all ready to go. David, on the letting side, how much of a boost do you think the lifting of the ban will have on London lettings overall? I think it will have a, a great impact, actually, on getting back to some form of business as usual. I think the lettings market has proven pretty resilient, actually, over the course of lockdown. And for us, that's been the last approaching two months now, where, yes, of course, we've seen a drop off in business, but there have been well over 100 deals agreed during the lockdown period, although that is substantially fewer than we would normally expect to see. So we have, across certainly the prime central London business, large numbers of properties that are either already launched on the marketplace or waiting to launch on the market. And that's covering all sectors from smaller one-bedroom flats through to the big family houses. And we have a huge demand. So literally, as soon as we had notification that viewings could take place, we had over 250 inquiries for people wishing to view. So I think the impact was immediate. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the course of the next few weeks and months as we move forward, because lettings can be quite seasonal. And we're expecting quite a large proportion of the international student marketplace to move back into London. That's on pause at the moment. I think there's quite a large number of people that are still waiting to see what's going to be happening, a large number of universities seeing how they can run their courses. And we're talking tens of thousands of people entering London to take up properties in line with this. So it's going to be a very interesting time. But overall, uh, our teams across London are preparing for an extremely busy next few weeks. David, just going back to your comments on activity under lockdown, you mentioned agreeing 100 deals. Were those all actually sort of signed and completed or were some of those delayed until now? Quite a large number were signed and completed. Obviously, with move-in only able to take place once lockdown has been lifted, but certainly deals being put into place and agreed with paperwork exchanged and monies paid. All they're waiting for now is keys to be handed over. So it's been a, a huge number of different varieties of, of how we've been able to agree those sort of tenancies with virtual tours taking place, some of which are doing on Instagram Live, some of which Facebook, some of which through our 3D immersive tours. We've put a huge effort with some new software into place to make that a much, much easier experience. And actually something which we think will now certainly continue moving forward for even returning to a degree of normality where people use the virtual tour viewings as much more of a, a qualification exercise to make sure they don't waste time seeing properties that aren't suitable. And what would you say about activity levels? David's mentioned there's quite a lot of activity already going on in lettings. What are you seeing in sales in the West Country at the moment? It's really interesting. We had some figures today through, particularly on waterfront properties, second homes. We've seen a spike in activity post the announcement. And we have, we've got people booking and viewing. The activity on rural properties and on waterfront locations has increased in terms of traffic on Rightmove. I think certainly we will see an increase in activity in the short term. And interestingly, the people that we've been registering, there's been a lot of people registering from the southeast who have probably sped up their plans to move 
west so if anyone's had a five-year plan this whole covid situation i think has sped up that thought process and i think we're taking advantage of that at the moment in terms of an increase in registrations of people looking to buy and are there any particular sort of hotspots do you think in the west country that you've already noticed particular interest in Yes. I mean, for example, our Bath and Bristol offices, certainly Bath has seen a big spike in activity and Bristol, that connectivity to London, you know, you can still get to London very quickly from Bath and Bristol. There's a fast train service from there, but obviously you can still have a really good lifestyle in those two big regional cities. The same applies to Exeter. So demand certainly is strong for those locations. And the other big point to make is obviously there is a big gap between what you can buy in the countryside and what that money gets you in the capital. So I think that's been one of the big driving factors, making people think about, you know, what actually is value at the moment and, you know, what does that look like to people? And I think people are just re-evaluating everything at the moment and that also relates to property and the decisions they're making currently. And in terms of re-evaluating, are there any other major trends that you think might arise out of this as well? Yeah, I think the change in the way that people are working, definitely. We're seeing, I mean, a lot of the bars that we're registering down here in the Southwest, they own their own businesses. They don't necessarily need to have a big office space in a major conurbation, so they can actually work from home. We have seen an increase in registration of buyers who run their own businesses. I think they're recognizing now that that our region is a region that can support a lifestyle and they can still run their business effectively. Other trends, certainly it's interesting looking at the country house market. You could have argued a couple of years ago that, you know, we, we wondered how fashionable country houses would be. We've definitely seen a spike in interest in the big country houses, properties with land, the big estates. Some of the biggest states we've been dealing with in my region, sort of north of four million pounds, we've seen an increase in activity on those properties whilst both in lockdown and now coming out after Boris's announcement. There's been, I should, I mean, I would, I would say almost a sort of 50% increase in, in inquiries for those larger houses with more than sort of three or four acres. And I think that's been driven by again the experience we've just had over the last seven weeks. David spoke a bit about lettings being carried over from lockdown and a certain number of delays as well as ongoing activity. Is a lot of the activity you're seeing resume now is a lot of that made up of previous deals that may have been paused? Yes I think you're I think that's a good point and I think we were busy registering interest in properties whilst we couldn't view. So if I look at for example at the Exeter and Bath office we've got over 120 viewings of people who expressed an interest prior to Boris's announcement who want to view over the next couple of weeks. I think the big concern we had is, you know, obviously that was over a period of seven weeks. What's been really interesting since Boris's announcement, we've actually been registering new inquiries. So it's not just the pent-up demand, but you must remember that, you know, this period we've just been through was our traditional spring market. We haven't had it for the last seven weeks. And, you know, people still need to move for all the reasons they have done before. You know, they might be upsizing because they've uh, had another member of the family. They might be moving for schools, for all the other reasons that people move. And actually what this has done, it hasn't been long enough, I don't think, to completely curb demand for property. And interestingly enough, in terms of our initial sort of sense of what it's doing to prices, the sales we have agreed have not been at a significant reduction to pre 
you know, lockdown levels. Any thoughts as to how that demand might evolve if you were to hazard your best guess? I think we're obviously seeing a spike in demand at the moment because, you know, there's a pent up amount of buyers who wanted to view prior to everything that's gone on. I think we probably will see a steady flow of buyers in this direction. I think that's probably more to do with, we'd already seen it with Brexit and buyers wanting to relocate the West Country. I think prices in the capital weren't going up as much as they had done in the previous 10 years. And people were already looking at, you know, what's the best lifestyle choice for them and their families. This is a much bigger thing than Brexit, I think, in my opinion. And I think that has, again, made people really reevaluate as to what's important to them. And I think property values in the big conurbations are still high. And actually, even if their prices, for example, in London, if prices have come off by 10 or 20%, the difference between the country market and town is still quite significant. And still, you know, there are relative bargains to be had when you downsize in terms of equity. Just looking back at past experiences, John, do you think there are any lessons perhaps to be drawn just from a sort of operational side from previous situations like the financial crisis? So Anna, first and foremost, communication. We learned this in the GFC and we've certainly been implementing it now. So many keeping our staff completely up to date with what's going on. And even more importantly, our customers and clients just getting on the phone immediately as this has been happening and helping because every customer's got different needs. Being absolutely transparent with what we do know and you know where we, that we don't have all the answers, these things have evolved as it did with the GFC. And I think something that all businesses that are responding to this, we have to be prepared to make decisions faster than usual. And we don't always have all the facts, but we just have to make decisions and move forward and act quickly. So that's one of those things. And of course, you know, in areas like cutting costs, we've had to cut costs quickly in some areas and make sure that our suppliers are all aligned up, etc. Coming back to customers, the absolute importance of being able to respond to their needs. So for example, finance, a number of our customers needed access to finance. So we were able to swing in and help them with those areas or some areas like moving and cleaning our home solutions team are able to swoop in and help out or help our customers at this time. And finally, I think sort of collaboration at times like this internally is really important. As a partnership, I think that helps us a lot to get the right people together in uh, cross-functional teams to respond to things like getting all of the protocols ready that we've needed for this and the training, et cetera. But then also with external bodies, so our trade bodies, the ROCS and other professional bodies, working with them to try to find solutions and share that across the firms. So there's some of the things that I think, like the GFC, that we needed to respond quickly, work collaboratively, and again, keep talking to each other and being transparent with our customers. Would you say then, John, that most organisations are better prepared this time around, having drawn some lessons from the recession previously? I guess so, Anna. Yeah, I mean, it's 12 years ago, but I think this one's, this one's different, of course. But I think those principles apply. Having the drinks in depth at Knight Frank, and, and I'm sure other firms too, of having those collaborative teams, the HR experts, the health and safety experts, the training experts that can jump in to help out at a time like this and put together the right response is getting us through this and I'm sure other firms as well. Let's talk about virtual viewings. They've obviously come up time and time again since we've been in lockdown. But do you think really longer term that they could be something that people actually rely on when they either buy or let a home? I think virtual tours and virtual viewings, and there are so many different variations on what the actual offerings are across the marketplace. The use of that has been accelerated due to lockdown. 
And if you look at across Knight Frank's availability of virtual tours, we've gone from having less than 5% to now having every single one of our properties, which is in excess of 3,500 properties, available to have a guided virtual tour. So I do think that these are here to stay. I think the technology and the interface between the property, the agent and the customer has to improve and certainly has even improved in the short few weeks that we've been exploring it at Knight Frank. Indeed, we've now invested substantially in some new software, which means that we can take any interested party and give the agent the ability to give a guided tour through every single property on our inventory at the moment. And what that means is it takes some of the uh, surprising elements out of virtual tours. You can get a complete location information from an expert who knows the area, and you can ask questions in real time and explore specific areas of a property that might be of interest. So I really see the value in this. I always think there's going to be an overwhelming demand for people if they're investing significant sums of money, be it in rental or being in purchasing, you're always going to want to see the actual asset before committing to it on the large number of cases. But I think using it as, as a tool to shortlist what the right properties might be and to make sure that everyone's precious time is used in the most wise way, I see real value in virtual tours. And I certainly think they're going to be getting better and better and part of our fabric of dealing with them day to day as an agent. Do you think they could get perhaps even more technologically advanced with virtual reality tours and that kind of thing? Yeah, I've been looking at a lot of different platforms and a lot of different experiences for virtual tours. There's no doubt about it that having a virtual immersive experience can be quite incredible. The problem at the moment is the accessibility of that and the accessibility of the actual hardware for users to have. So until that becomes more available in the mainstream, I think we just want to have the best quality 3D tours that we can have that really enhance a property's appeal and making sure that it's easy to use for both agent and also, more importantly, for customers. I do think there's been very, very rapid evolution of this. In this digital marketplace, things move and almost trade by the week rather than having to wait years for improvements. It's a very, very exciting area for us over the next few years. If you enjoyed this episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information. Mm -hmm.